All right. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Real Live Talk. I'm really pumped that you're here to check out this episode, this conversation with me. I have an awesome guest with me today, Ryan Ermeling, and he'll be up on the screen with me in just a second. But Ryan is an entrepreneur. He founded Stretch Internet back in 2003. And during his 15 years as president and CEO of Stretch Internet, he grew the company into the largest video streaming provider in the collegiate athletic space, servicing more than 40% of the market. In 2017, Stretch was placed on the Inc. 5000 list as one of the fastest growing privately held companies in the United States of America. He sold the company in 2018 and later founded Seven Marches. And uh, we'll get into this for sure with Ryan, but Seven Marches helps churches, ministries, and Christian-led for-profit organizations break down walls to achieve perpetual momentum. Ryan, thank you, man, for being here. I always enjoy our conversations and uh, I'm excited to hear about what's going on in your life presently and what you're doing um, out there in the in the world where business and ministry intersects together. I think it's super cool uh, the approach that you take to, to life and to entrepreneurship and being kingdom-minded in business and what you do to help ministries and churches and and uh, really kingdom-minded organizations. And so it's an honor to have you on the show. Thanks for being here, man. Dude, great to be with you, man. Um, had, had a lot of fun with you last time and uh, looking forward to uh, to hanging with you this morning. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. Um, I, you know, you, you must be a morning person, right? <laughs> Well, hey, when you've got uh, when you've got daughters and and school rhythms and and everything else going on, and a wife who likes to get up at four thirty in the morning, uh, <laughs> you can't really help but be a morning person. So, um, so yeah, I'm I'm a morning person. Whew. Yeah, so because it's it's eight a.m. for you right now, and you look you look fresh and you look like you're uh, you're ready to go. I know for me for me it's ten. And that's on the early side <laughs> for me for when I start podcasts because I always need I always need like lots of time in the morning before I'm ready to actually engage and have like a high level conversation. I need hours before I'm ready to to jump into stuff like that. So well, you need time for that do too, right? You got to get your uh, you know get your hair looking good and everything. See, I don't have that. Yeah, problem. that's it. I- the podcast takes about an hour, hour and a half, but you know, all this prep time to get to look this good, it's, it's, it's about three to four hours, you know? Yeah, for so, sure. For sure. No, I've got my coffee and, how long and it takes. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to roll. I, I uh, enjoy the mornings. They're, they're peaceful and calm. So uh, I would class my, classify myself more as a morning person than, than a night owl. It's funny because I can switch back and forth just depending on what mode of life I'm in. Right now, where I'm at currently, I'm definitely not a morning person because my schedule doesn't really require it most for, for the most part. But in the past, I mean, I had times where, you know, I had to be at work at 530 in the morning. Or, um, we were my wife and I for a while, we were running uh, a house of prayer during our ministry um, or as missionaries in Mexico. And uh, 6 a.m., the doors opened. And so I'd be there at 5.30 to open and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, basically up at like 4 o'clock, going to bed super early. And I adjusted to it. And so, like, I've I've been in modes of life where I have to be a morning person and I make it work. But right now, I, I, I'm kind of – the way my schedule is, I don't really have to do it that way. So, you know. Enjoy but that I, season, I have flip-flopped. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy that season. I, I mean, I – for me too, it's partly just about syncing with your spouse, right? Like I said, my, my wife's yeah. always been up early and, 
and goes to bed on the early side too. So I found out if I went to bed late and got up late, we missed some of that time to connect. Right. So it's, it's trying to sync up your, your schedule yeah. and your life with your, with your spouse too. So it's, it's worked well. Yeah, that's really good. And that's really important. I, I just realized, as you said, enjoy the season I just realized it's about to end because we're having another baby. <laughs> oh, so I just wow. realized that, uh, yeah, in, in April, my wife is due. So congrats. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That's yeah. Cool. Is I that just... number, number what for you? Number three. Number three number for three. us. Okay. Three is a and crowd. You... That's what we have too. So yeah, you have three as well, right? Uh, three girls or three girls. Yeah. Yep. Three girls. I got my two male dogs so you know they they help balance things out a little bit but uh but blessed with three girls wouldn't have it any other way so you know it's, yeah. we had a gap between our second and third of of almost nine years and so all mm. my buddies were saying oh you just wanted to keep trying for that boy i'm like honestly i knew i had the girl thing down we had all these hand-me-down clothes ready to go <laughs> let's go with another girl so um <laughs> so I, I i've loved being a dad of girls that's awesome man um yeah, we have two boys and we're expecting a girl for number three. And uh, I'm just I'm so happy for my wife. My wife, my wife needed it. She was so outnumbered. And uh, yeah, it's awesome. You'll, you'll love it. It's uh, it'll be a fun, you know, boys are blessings, too. But it'll be a fun change of pace. And, and just to see the, the different temperaments and personalities, um, you know, throughout the uh, as, as they get older. I think you, you guys will have a blast. So enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, man. Um, well, last time you were here, um, we and I believe that was episode 12. So for anybody that wants to go back and get a little bit more background, <clears throat> excuse me, background information on Ryan Ermeling and um, what Ryan did with uh, the first company that he started and grew um, in a really, really incredible way and then um, staged a successful exit in 2018. Uh, if you want to get some background on how all that came about and everything, I would just encourage you to go back and check out episode 12. We had a really good conversation. We talked about a lot of stuff. We kind of ran the ran the gamut. I remember we talked a little bit about um, we had some spiritual conversation in there, too, uh, about the the Lutheran faith. And we talked about not not that it's different than the Christian faith, but but we talked about your uh, Lutheran roots and heritage and how uh, the impact of of that that the lutherans have had on the body of christ in our understanding of grace salvation by grace alone and uh all of that and so it was a really cool i, I think fun conversation but um definitely talked a lot about entrepreneurship and business and i think there's a lot of value so i just encourage you guys to check that out we don't need to go back through all of those details again ryan but just because i think it's going to help with some background for a couple of the questions that i want to ask you if you would just tell a little bit about uh, that company that you founded in 2003, Stretch Internet, and uh, just briefly, like how that came about and what that company was and the service that it provided. Sure. Yeah. No, I I, I always love going down the uh, memory lane. So we, you know, out of college, I was a communications uh, major and 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 grad and and worked in athletic media relations for a couple of colleges in Southern California, and in my second one there was at Cal State Fullerton. Um, there, there came a need for us to experiment with some in-house solutions for, at that point, just audio streaming, broadcasting the audio of our athletic games online, right? There wasn't, uh, it was pretty in the infant stages in terms of what was available out there. So we came up mm -hmm. with a kind of a, an in-house solution and, uh, 
really Duke, I was not an entrepreneur by nature at that point. I mean, it, it took a few people to see what we were doing. And, and a couple said, you should market that, you know, take it to other schools. There might be something there. And it's like, okay. You know, I was young and naive and said, what the heck, yeah. let's, let's try it. And, and, uh, it's kind of a right place, right time. And, and, uh, it within, you know, just launched it, uh, in, in 03, not knowing what to expect and had, I think 12 schools the first year, 12 colleges that signed on and, and it just grew steadily double digits year over year over year. And, um, uh, got to the point, you know, 15 years later where you, you read it at the beginning of the show, but we had about 40% of the collegiate marketplace providing all the logistics and infrastructure and support to help these schools stream and broadcast their events online. A lot of this before it became ubiquitous right now, you know, now you, streaming is, is, you know, you can do it on, on any platform, anytime, right? Yeah. Pull up your iPhone and click a button and you're, well, look, look what we're doing here. Right. So, yep. um, you know, but this, a lot of this came before this was such commonplace. And, and, uh, so we were able to help schools navigate, some of that technology when it wasn't quite as as uh, as ubiquitous ubiquitous as it is now, and had a lot of fun. I mean, it combined some some of my loves, which are sports and communications and technology, and um, out of that really, de de, you know, developed a passion for for entrepreneurship and and what it means mm. to to lead and to run a business and to um, you know, in my case, use it as my my calling, my vocation, uh, spiritually as well. Right. I had the chance to, to really, uh, engage with, with a team of people, most of whom, uh, did not have an active faith. And so it, over time, I, I would say I grew my maturity over time and looking at it as, as my calling, um, from a kingdom perspective as well. Right. I think when I was young and just started, I was like, okay, this is just my job. Right. And, and over time I really started to see, that fused with this idea that, Hey, this is where God's put me for a reason. And that, that became a fun piece to explore. Um, and really kind of led to, to this next chapter that I'm, I'm pursuing now. Yeah, man. So you were broadcasting and live streaming on the internet, like before it was cool, right? Well, I, I wouldn't say before it was cool because Mark Cuban was doing it. Mark Cuban sold his $4.7 billion. I think he sold audio, mm -hmm. uh, audio, I can't remember what it was called, but it was basically the same thing I was doing. So he was the first cool kid, right? And and he uh, he leveraged that to the tune of four point seven billion dollars. So I think Cuban probably was uh, was a little bit cooler than I he was. Saw, but yeah, he I saw mean, some. It, yeah, yep, for sure. So I, I missed that uh, by a few years, but uh, but yeah, it was it was still I would say the uh, the wild west days of of streaming yeah. back then. Yep. I mean, 2003, that was still like MySpace days, man. That was yep. before Facebook was a thing. That was that was still very early. And yeah, it, is it, I don't know, it, it must be cool to kind of look back. And yeah, you know, you weren't there for the, you know, I mean, what you, Cuban Cuban was a, was a little bit <laughs> ahead and stuff like that. But um, to kind of be in that wave of, you know, something that's become so normal and so commonplace and so like i mean how many churches around the world are live streaming now every single sunday morning or you know right. throughout the week as well and stuff like that and something that's become so commonplace and so part of our culture but yeah kind of being around in those wild west days that's uh that's super cool you know that's such a lutheran thing to do man like like doing stuff before it's cool <laughs> <laughs> I've never thought of it like that, but you're right. <laughs> disrupting you're right. the uh, disrupting the the business of the church 
with yeah. the truth of the word of God. And uh... Fortunately, I didn't have, have people coming coming after me and threatening my you know my life for it. But uh, but yeah, it's, yeah, uh, that's a unique way to put it. Yeah, well, it's funny because I mean you know what we talk about a lot, or you know what I know on your heart a lot relates to that that world of kingdom minded business, right? Um, and taking concepts and principles from the business world, which I really think that a lot, most, uh, you know, so many concepts that we see that work in the business world are actually biblical concepts or, you know, started out as biblical concepts that we've, that we've, um, you know, adapted to, to work in, in the realm of, of business and, and entrepreneurship and things like that. But taking concepts and principles from the business world and sort of infusing them into ministry and into church life so that we can be more productive and go after things. And I think a lot of, you know, some, some people get nervous when we start having these conversations because we don't want to create, to make the church a business in the sense of, you know, this is like about making money or this is about programs and productions and things like that we we'd never want it to become about that and losing the heart of what ministry is and why we do ministry in the first place it's all about god it's all about people it's about building people and discipling people and uh, bringing people into the kingdom and and expanding god's kingdom throughout the earth you know of course that's the that's the heart and that's the goal um but there is this thing about you know you concepts from the business world that work in the kingdom as far as um you know just ways that we can increase our productivity and that we can track things better and we can do you know different things in a way that that produces results and that helps us make reach those goals right to reach the goals of discipling people in a more productive way and expanding the kingdom of god and reaching the lost and all that kind of stuff so would you explain uh, a little bit about seven marches and what it's about and uh yeah just just what you do yeah well no i that's a that's a great um intro to that concept i mean i look at it this way either you you know if if you're if you, if you read the apostles creed you know the, the first article is all about creation right you either believe god created all things or he didn't and and so when we look at even things like business concepts and things that are using those were still created by by human minds, right? Which were mm -hmm. created by God, and and we know God can use all things and does use all things for good, um, and and so I think, you know, these there, there's no reason to think that God did not um, allow us to to think through and develop some of these concepts and and translate those into ways that we can can now infuse them into ministry and also see benefits in ministry from some of those things. So. So that is kind of what we explore with seven marches is walking through some of these components that I used in my business and that other leaders have used in their businesses for years that really help them engage uh, with their uh, their people, help them uh, lead their people more effectively, help them set goals, help them execute on those goals and, and ultimately attain, uh, you know, I use the word momentum a lot. Um, but that's what it all, that's what it's about. It's, it's, it's trying to attain momentum and tr uh, traction in your business. Right. And, and same thing applies for ministry. So, um, there's, there's a lot there and we've had fun helping some ministries, um, kind of flesh that out a little bit. We've got a, a, a systematic process that we walk through with, with organizations and, 
and uh, having fun develop some some other side projects, which we can talk about today as well. That that dive into that same that same premise. But um, you know, and and it's not rocket science, Duke. I'm I'm, I'm not the one who invented <laughs> this. I mean, there are other other uh, folks out there that are doing some of the same stuff to a certain degree in a church space. But I I don't think it's pronounced enough. And and I think there is to kind of what you you pointed out a little bit, for lack of a better word, sometimes there is some fear, right? Yeah, if, for sure. If we try to pursue some of these concepts and ideas from the business world, does that, does that just make us look like we're, we're, we're profit driven? We're, we're trying to, you know, just get more money in, in our coffers and, and figure out what can we do with that money? And, and, um, you know, are, are we, are we seeking the wrong things, which I don't think is the case at all. If you, if you approach it from a healthy perspective and, and you, you understand that it's all about doing kingdom work, right? Um, so, mm. so it's it's a it's a fascinating conversation, and and I enjoy exploring that with people too. So I actually I enjoy exploring it with people who are kind of on the other side of the aisle in that conversation too. It's it's, it's fun to, to have a healthy conversation about about it. Yeah. Would Would you um, just kind of say what, in your opinion, being kingdom minded? We'll we'll get into the the ministry component too, but. As far as like kingdom mindedness in business, like what does that look like to you? What does that mean for you from your perspective of just like what what does it mean to be kingdom minded when it comes to business and entrepreneurship? So, you know, I'm going to go back to my Lutheran roots again. Right. And, and Luther has has a great work on vocation. And Luther talked a lot about vocation and what that means. Mm. And, um, you know, we're all called to unique vocations. Uh, careers, jobs, and, and and you can even go beyond kind of what you're paid to do. You know, your vocation can yes. be as as a as a spouse, as a parent, as uh, a member of your community, etc. Right. But I, I think in my mind, the idea of being a kingdom-minded uh, business person, a kingdom-minded entrepreneur, is all about understanding that this is my vocation. This is where God's put me in this station in life, and how am I utilizing this to give Him glory? How am I utilizing this to to bring more people to know who he is, right? And and as I, I mentioned earlier, I, I don't know that I had that perspective really in my business. Um, I, I mm. tended to compartmentalize it, right? So I had my family life and personal life, and and I prayed and and you know always asked God to come into that part of my life and and led my family that way. But I tended to my business world to say, I've got this. This is this is my area, right? And and this is this is something that that I'm in control and and never really uh, embraced or adopted that that idea that, hey, this is my vocation that God's given me. How can I use this to glorify him? How can I use mm. this to bring more people to know him? And so I think in a nutshell, that that to me is the the essence of a kingdom-minded entrepreneur, recognizing that, yes, they might be in a profit-driven venture, right? But God's put them there for a reason, and they can use that for incredible blessing uh, for the greater kingdom, right? To... to to be a, a strong witness in a workplace, to uh, to help bring others to Christ, to lead in a way, even if it's not always uh, with word, to lead in a way through action and and uh, to inspire your team to say, hey, there's something different here, right? I want to know what that is. And so yeah. I think it's that mindset, right? It's just that mindset that, hey, my vocation uh, might be in a profit-driven venture, uh, but you know, God's using me here and it doesn't have to be entrepreneur. We're talking about anybody, right? You can go, Come on. you can be a, 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 a Amazon prime driver, right? Mm -hmm. And God, that's your vocation, right? God is, is put you there for a reason. 
and how do you approach each day with this idea that that I'm I'm here to serve? Uh, you know, God has me here for a reason. What what am I doing today to connect my vocation to this this higher calling? That's so good. Yeah, you know, I it's funny you brought that up about the you know Amazon Prime driver. Like, for God started teaching me like this this principle. Um, years ago when I was, uh, driving for Uber, I was doing Uber driving on the side while I was in ministry and stuff like that. And for a while, my mindset was Ugh, like, I hate this. I wish I didn't have to do this. I don't want these people in my car. Like it was that kind of thing. And then one day, the thing that was cool about the early days of Uber driving, at least, um, when it was early for us here in Mo in Mobile, Alabama, where I live, I started pretty early on. And there wasn't a whole lot of business to be had, but there were only a handful of drivers. But there was a lot of time waiting. There's a lot of waiting time where I'd be sitting in my car. And so I started to use that time as time to study or work on something. I use a lot of it as time to pray and read the word and stuff like that. And awesome. so I'd be out there. And while I was in that process with, you know, what I think was a kind of a pretty bad attitude about it. God started to speak to me and he was like, you know what, if this is where you are right now, and I knew that that wasn't God's like ultimate goal for my life. It was something for that season. Yep. But he's like, if this is where you are right now, why don't you use this for, for my glory? You know, why don't you use this to actually serve people? Well, why don't you use this to actually love people, to demonstrate who I am to people as they get into your car? You know, why not go into it? Why not approach it with that kind of a mindset? And Ryan, yeah. I, I love that you talked about that compartmentalization thing, because so often I think that's what we do. We think about the the quote unquote spiritual things that we do as those things where God is in the center of. So if I'm in ministry, then God's at the center of that. But, you know, if not, then, you know, I go to church on Sunday, I read my Bible, I do these different things. And that's those are the things that God's at the center of. But then I have yeah. the rest of my life where it's just kind of me out there making things happen. And it's so not true because whatever God has called anybody to do. And as you said, whether that's business, whether it's to be a stay at home parent, whether that's to yeah. be in ministry, whether that's to work a job, to have a vocation that whatever God has called you to do, wherever he's placed you in life, that you you can walk into that situation with a kingdom-minded perspective of, I'm going to do all in this situation to the glory of God. And how yep. can I serve well? How can I do this well? How can I serve the people well that I'm with? And Ryan, I think so often, like when we talk about kingdom-minded business and kingdom entrepreneurship and stuff like that, I think so often where people's minds go is how can we bring ministry into my business? And I think that that's very short sighted. In other words, how can I make my business more spiritual by praying for people while I'm while I'm doing business, while telling people about Jesus, while, you know, doing these things? And I think that there can I'm not saying that that should never be a part of uh, that. That should never be a part of it. Um, and if there are opportunities to do that, great. But what I'm saying is I think when we relegate it to just that, to just like how I can make my business be more spiritual, then I think that we miss out on the greater picture, which is God has placed you where you are. He's given you that job. He's given you that business. He's given you that influence that you have in that place where you are in order to demonstrate the kingdom in order to represent him well in that place where you are. And so often we, I think that we can think that if I'm not doing something that we would stamp spiritual, 
that mm -hmm. it's not for the kingdom. And it's just not true. Uh, and there's so many ways that we can represent God well in the work or in the business or in the ministry or in whatever he's called us to do. And, uh, you know, I just think that that's a that that's a perspective that um, I don't know, like I've struggled with I, I struggled with for a long time, like getting that in my mind. And it's something that I feel like I'm still learning. But I think that that's so it's so important because God has wherever you are, whatever he's called you to do. He's got so much creativity for you in that situation, yeah. and you can learn how to tap into the creativity of God and his unique expression of himself for what it is that he's called you to do. Again, it doesn't have to be ministry and it doesn't have to be one of these activities that we would you know, call spiritual because the fact that you are there <laughs> and you're his yeah. child, mm -hmm. it is spiritual because he's in you while you're doing that. And there's just there's I think there's more to it than what we make it out to be so many times. Sorry for the rant there. No, you're but. absolutely right. I, I, I was Googling uh, a little bit the first part when you were talking because I, I knew there was a good quote out there. So I pulled up this quote from Luther um, in, in one of his works on vocation. And this, this, I think, is a perfect way to sum this up. He says, work is no longer simply a job or occupation. It is a calling, a vocation. It is a summons from God. Vocation is also where the spirit sanctifies a Christian's life not in the self-centered quest for perfection, but rather in humble service to the neighbor, right? So mm, you mentioned the word good. serve, and I, I think that's yeah. what it's all about, right? How are you, how are you using the, the position that God's put you in uh, to focus on on how you're serving the neighbor, which is ultimately going to bring glory to God, right? So mm. you're, you're spot on, Duke. That's so good. Um, yeah. So yeah, you know, I think about people like like Daniel in the Old Testament who was in a very <laughs> as secular of a position as you could be in, in a nation that was against God or that didn't even recognize God who, you know, they had their own gods. Um, and, and in that sort of pagan society where Daniel went to work for the King in a way that like, his desire was to serve, right? His desire, his desire was to serve well, to love well. And, and he was loving people and he was serving people that were not going after God. Yeah. But, you know, he, he from that place of influence and authority, um, God did some incredible things through him. But, you know, we don't really see Daniel walking around like, you guys are wrong. You need to start serving Jesus. Well, it wouldn't have been Jesus, but, you know, the God of Abraham or whatever. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't it wasn't that kind of an approach. It was I'm in here. I'm in this place. And so let me use my position to serve well, to love well. And then I think yeah. that, you know, what God does is he gives you, you know, when you when you do that. Um, when you use the position that he's given you to serve, then I think that he expands your influence so that people can begin to see. And, and it might even start from such a simple place of, you know, like, what, what's up, Daniel? There's something different about you. Yep. Why is your life different? You know, how yep. is it? I, I see that you it just seems like you've got so much stuff going for you. You know, we, we call that God's favor. But like it's, things just seem to work out or you don't seem to to respond the same way as everybody else. You don't seem to freak out when things go wrong as much as everybody else does. And 
you know, right. just kind of being in that in that place, I think that God naturally expands the influence that you have and gives you opportunity to have those conversations and to speak into people's lives. But, Joseph yeah. from the Old Testament, another great example, right? I yeah. mean, just put in a position where he, he he had opportunity, you know, God's favor was on him, but he he served, right? And and he took that opportunity to uh to to bring glory to God and to serve. So I mean lots of great biblical examples of that. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you a question. Um, kind of going back again to those earlier days of starting stretch internet. Um, you know, from being in a position where, you know, you had a you had a good job as an SID, right? And and transitioning from that into, you know, this place where you were launching your own business. Um, can you just talk a little bit? Because I think that this is helpful for people. What was your what was the process like for you? And how did you transition from working in a stable job position to you know, owning and running your own business. What was that process like for you, and how did that all transpire? Yeah, well, first off, I'm impressed. You know the the word, the terminology SID, Sports Information Director. Not a lot of people know that, so um, <laughs> I'm not sure if you stole that from like bio somewhere. If you actually know what that is, but uh, well, we talked about it last time. I'm pretty oh, okay. sure. So you, there you go. Um, no, that's a great question. Yeah. I think. Listen, part of it, if I'm being honest, I, I touched on this earlier. Is I was naive, right? So. I was young enough to to not know any better, to not know that failure is an option or, or that failure is a possibility, right? Yeah. So you, you start up this idea and you just go, you adapt and you fly. I didn't, I didn't build a business plan. I didn't, I didn't do any of that. I was like, Hey, this is a cool idea. Let's, let's just go and we'll figure it out as we, as we move along. So I think part of it is, is you got to have this spirit of, of just uh, courage and, and uh, mm. persistence and, you know, it, it's funny now I, I'm, I'm working on starting some other ventures and I'm, I'm approaching it much differently. You know, I'm planning more and testing and, and uh, doing it more cautiously. And, and part of me just wonders, man, maybe I should just go all in on some of this and not <laughs> not worry about, you know, because so there, there's something to this the idea of being naive, because when something doesn't work out, you just say, OK, no big deal. I'll just figure I'll figure it out. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll pivot. I'll do this. I'll do that. So. It, part of it was just having that, that mindset. But, you know, one of the benefits I had was stretch internet grew slowly enough. And, and I intentionally kept my other job, my, my day job, if you will. And there's, there's a great, I'm a big fan of Chip and Dan Heath, if you've ever read any of their stuff. Um, mm. They've wrote a lot of great uh, business type books. And one of them is called um, uh, Decisive. Decisive. I'm trying to think of the, it's, it's all about um, the process of making better decisions. Um, and I might be butchering that title. So I, I, I go back to it all the time, but for some reason um, you might want to Google Chip and Dan Heath and make sure I've got that title right. Um, but one of the things they talk about in there is uh, a concept that they call ooch, O-O-C-H. How do you ooch? And it's, it's almost as try before you buy philosophy, right? Where okay. is there a mm -hmm. way to test something out on a smaller scale before you dive in headfirst? And that's something I always recommend to young entrepreneurs um, is, listen, it, if, if we look at the numbers, the numbers don't lie. Most businesses fail, right? Um, if, if not in the first year, then within two or three years. And, and it's just the, the law of average. It's just the numbers. And, and I, don't, I don't necessarily want people to, to embrace that mindset, right? I, I just, we just talked about being naive and saying, hey, failure is not a possibility. But 
On the other hand, if at all possible, I, I encourage young entrepreneurs to to have something that still is going to allow them to to put food on the table, to mm. um, to know that hey, if this doesn't work out for whatever reason, or if it's a slow roll and it takes a while to gain momentum, I've got this on the side. And and some people are going to argue with this. They're going to say, nah, you need to go all in because it makes you hungry and and uh, it, it makes you go for it. Um, so I don't know if I'm just a little more conservative in that regard, but I, I think there's really something to this idea that, that you can ooch, you can, you can test the waters, you can start to build this, see how it works, um, make sure that, that it's progressing and that there's a market and that, that you're serving people well, and then you can go all in, which I did. So I, I did both jobs for a year and listen, it wasn't easy. I mean, I was working 90, hundred hour weeks with two young Ooh. kids. Right. And, uh, Nowadays, I, I don't know that I'd have the energy to do that, right? But in your mid-20s, you have a little more stamina. And, and again, I, I just went after it. So after a year, though, I was like, okay, this has some legs. And and I can dive into this full time. So that's something I, I usually suggest to folks is, you know, if, if you can, try to ooch. Try to test something out, see how it works, get some, some life behind it, make sure there's some market viability to whatever it is you're building or launching or trying. Mm. Um, and, and that way you have a fallback. And, and um, I, I think that's a smart, conservative way to do it. Um, like I said, some of the, the folks who go on Shark Tank might argue with me, but, uh, but I think that's, that's a, a, a smart way to do it. And, and, you know, the other thing too is I think a lot of people – Say, hey, I want to. I just, I'm, I want to be my own boss. I want to start something new, and they just go find something out there that may not be a passion or may not be connected to their their current work. Wow. And and I think that's a that's maybe a recipe for disaster too, because it's going to be hard to sustain passion with something that either you don't have a, a connection to or a love for. You know, in my case, my my stretch internet was birthed out of my existing job. Right, it was something I knew, something I enjoyed. I had connections in the field, so it would just made it so much easier to transition into that space. So, mm. um, so those are a couple of things. I mean, um, there there are a number of other uh, of, of of things we could talk about, but but those are two that quickly come to mind in terms of of people that are thinking, how do I transition into to maybe running my own business or to starting my own idea or to launching my own my own uh, uh, whatever it is. Yeah, I love that, man. Um, how, how important or how, how much of a big deal do you think it was for you that w the business you were building was directly coming out of something that you were passionate about, mainly, you know, this, this you know, athletics and it, it was something that you, I, I imagine that, did you, en you enjoyed the job that you had? before you started the business? Like it wasn't something you were yeah. trying to escape from? No, no, I loved it, man. I, it, it was a perfect combination of my, my skill set and my interests. And, uh, you know, I'm a huge baseball fan. I love technology. I love writing. Uh, I, I'm a little bit of a math geek. I love statistics. And so it, it combined all these elements, right? And um, yeah. got to, in fact, the last game I worked at Cal State Fullerton was a 2004 College World Series uh, championship when, when they beat Texas and, uh, in baseball. And so I loved it. I loved it, but, um, there was just an opportunity there. And, and to answer your question, I think it's, I think it's, it can be pretty important to have that connect. For me, it was important because I had built in connections. I had credibility already. The people that I was selling to were that were some of my tribe, right? So mm. I could come into this place and talk to, to sports information directors at other school and say, Hey, here's, here's a new business I'm launching. And 
here's how I've used it in your chair, right? I've, I've, I'm in your role and, and here's how yeah. it helped me. So you have immediate credibility, right? And I think that that's, that can be really important. If you can find an idea that's, um, you know, a spinoff of, of a, an area you're already in, uh, you have more credibility, you have more contacts in a marketplace. Uh, you can, you can speak to your customer um, so organically because you understand their pain points, right? A, a good product or service is going to address a legitimate uh, pain point or problem or opportunity. And if you've been on that, that other side and, and you understand precisely what that, that opportunity or pain point or problem is, I mean, that gives you an incredible leg up uh, in, in, in trying to chase down business in that market. Yeah. You, you know, you, you, you can, you can uh, empathize with that potential client like no one else can. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, going back to what you said before, too, I I think that unless unless you really have a word from the Lord where God is saying, stop doing what you're doing and just trust me to jump into this new venture, like, you know, just dive in. Unless yeah. you have that, I don't think that that's the right solution for most people, especially for people that are doing something on their own for the first time. Because I think that when you go through that transitionary period of doing it the way that you did it, where, okay, you had a job, and then basically in your extra time, in your free time, you had another full-time job, which was you building your business. But I think that there's some very valuable things that are learned in that process, right? Like some things that you, you learn how to be disciplined enough to do that because you know it's one thing to to get up and go to work every day because you have a boss and if you don't show up consistently you're going to get fired it's another thing to be completely on your own and you're the boss and you're calling the shots and you've got yeah. to manage yourself as an employee you know what i mean it, that's a completely different thing and yeah. i think that sometimes people underestimate the amount of discipline that it takes to actually do that and i think sort of having that transitionary period where you've you've got to you know you've still got your job that you're working but then you are building something else on the side you kind of get a chance to see what you're made of so to speak and i think that you develop a lot of good habits during that period that translate you know really well into you know when you're able to to step out and really do that full time and build your business full time um yeah. so i i really like what you're saying there as far as the you know, if it's possible for you. And I think that the, there's something really unique about the days that we're living in, Ryan, right now of the internet and the fact that like you can work if you, let's just say you have a nine to five job, you can do that. And then you can spend a few hours in the evening where you're building your business because mm -hmm. it's not like it was, you know, 50, 60 years ago where at five o'clock, you know, like everything is closed so like what are you going to be doing you're going to be like how are you building your business right. but we have the opportunity now because so much of building business takes place online and you know with different resources and tools that are available to us that we we really can um you know sort of work on our whether it's a passion project or a side hustle or a business idea or whatever it is we can pour into that thing in the time that we have left over, even if all we have are like weird hours or nighttime hours or things like that. So let me ask you another question. I'm trying to think how to phrase this. 
do you think it required when you were from when you were still working your job and then building your business on the side to when you went into running your business full time, which mm-hmm. one of those two modes of, of life and you know, which one of those two modes of building a business was more difficult or required more discipline? Well, I, does, I'd does say the more, question I'm asking makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> I, to figure I, out how to phrase it. I mean, I, I don't think there's any question. It was more difficult. And I was doing both. Right. I mean, it, it's just a grind. Uh, yeah. I mean, I would get up and, and, um, and, and again, we had two small kids too. So sometimes my wife was still working. Um, and she was a, a full-time, uh, music teacher at, at a Lutheran high school in Orange County. And so sometimes I'd be helping with the kids and then she'd come home and my boss at my day job was flexible enough that he'd let me come in sometimes at lunch, but then I'd work there till seven or eight and then come home mm. and maybe kiss the, the girls good night and then go work in my office till 12 or one in the morning. Um, wow. and, and it, so that, that, that's just a lot of work. Right. Um, and, and you've got to have the, the discipline, um, to stay committed and, and work through fatigue. So in my mind, there's no question. I was a more difficult chapter. Um, there, it's a different kind of difficult when you're, when you're full fledged into the business and that's your focus. And, and then it's, it's more, um, just hopping on a roller coaster. Right. And, and realizing that there's going to be ups and downs and there's going to be challenges. There's going to be um, just daily things you have to deal with. But it, it, it's I, I, it's a roller coaster for real. Roller coaster is exciting. Even when even during the downs, it's exciting. Right. And so I, I think mm-hmm. that's an important thing, too, is if you're an entrepreneur, you've got to embrace all those turns, all, all those ups and downs, because they're they're part of your story. And. And you can learn from everything. You can learn from the wins. You can learn from the losses. Uh, and they, they give you, um, they, they just make you who you are, right? So yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, that was, I look back at some of those early moments and just little things and, and um, little challenges. It seemed insurmountable at the time. I mean, I'll give you one example. We had, <clears throat> right when we started, everything was in my garage. I was like this classic garage startup business, right? So we had 17 computers and 72 phone lines coming into my garage. Right. Yeah. And um, who has 72 phone lines? Because that, that's how we got our audio for the streaming of that. People would call in to broadcast a game over a phone line. So it would come in over a phone line and then we'd connect it into our computers in, in the garage and stream it out. Um, but one that's of the so early funny. problems is I did I got all this equipment, set it up, did a test, called in on the phone line. And the audio coming into the computer was like a whisper. You could barely hear it. I'm like, oh man, what are we going to do? I don't know how to fix this, you know? And my wife, who's a musician, says, just go down to Guitar Center and get a little preamp. And and so I go get a preamp and awesome. didn't even know what it was, but connect a little quarter inch cable into the front and then a quarter inch out and I adjust the gain on the preamp. And all of a sudden the audio sounds perfect, right? So, mm. um, you know, little, you know, and some challenges are much bigger than that one, right? But it's it's just this, this uh, daily uh, battle with these obstacles that, that, that come to you and that, that you have to figure out how to deal with, how to, how to, uh, overcome. And it, it's, it's just a fun part of the story, but, but you have to approach it with the idea that, um, that it is part of your story, that you are going to learn from it, that you are going to overcome. Um, so I, I, I guess I, I want to hedge my bets here. I, on one hand, I talked to you about, make sure it's going to work and take your time and, and have something to fall back on. 
But on the other hand, you do, especially when you commit full on, you got to say, hey, this is going to work and we're going to figure out a way to make it work. Um, because at that point, you're, you're all in, right? You don't have a choice. So you've got to have that, that kind of uh, discipline. So I, to answer your initial question, I, I would almost answer it in two different ways. I would say it was more difficult when I was doing both. Mm -hmm. But I almost said it, almost would say it required more discipline when you launch. Because at that point, you've yeah. got to really just stay committed. Uh, you've got to have good rhythms. You've got to be able to to, to be persistent. And, and so there, there's a lot of discipline required in those early stages um, of, of starting a business. Yeah, no, that's really good. That's really, really good. Um, what, what kind of call it advice, I guess, um, would you give to somebody who's in a position where, you know, they do have something that they're passionate about and, you know, something that they would like to, to, to start on, or maybe they're in the very early stages of it or something like that. Um, but they're, they're, they want to launch out on their own and, you know, they want to add value around whatever it is that, that they're passionate about. Um, and just sort of like some maybe first steps or things like that, that you would recommend to somebody to just kind of get started and get the ball rolling. Yeah, I, that's a great question, Duke. I, the first thing I, that I would suggest, and, and I'll be honest, I didn't really do this with Stretch Internet, but but I'm doing it mm -hmm. now um, as I look at some other ventures, but it, it's to test the marketplace. Understand if there's truly a need for what you're what you're passionate about uh, starting. Um, so let me, can I give you an example from, from what I'm working Please. on now? So last time you and I spoke, one of the things that I was really excited about was this concept called Measure.Church. Mm -hmm. And it, it was an offshoot of seven marches. Um, and, and again, bringing a business principle and the business principle here is this idea, um, that we, we should look at, in this case, it was worshipers almost as customers. And I don't mean that as profit centers. I mean that more as they have ideas and desires and wants and needs. And how are we as a church understanding those and how are we measuring those and quantifying those so that we can better adapt and be flexible and make sure that we're serving our people well. Right. Mm. Well, I went out and talked to lots of pastors. I did surveys. I, I tested the waters. And, and I'll be honest, I found out that the market interest is not there yet. I think I'm early. Um, and and we got some interesting feedback um, and, and, you know, a decent level of interest, but not to the extent where I felt that this is ready to launch. But mm. during that process, I had some conversations with people and it led me to uh, talk to a few Christian school administrators, principals, heads of school, and in their their ears, their antenna went up when I talked about this because they're like, "Holy cow, our parents are legitimately and literally customers, right?" There's no wow. there's no ifs ands or buts mm -hmm. about it. Our parents are paying tuition money, and they expect the service, and we don't always do a great job of of understanding what our parents are thinking about our school. And so, Measure Church uh, is still there, but I've pivoted now to something called Parent Pulse. And that's actually, we're launching that in beta version, beta form here in the next month. And, and this is um, going to be based on, on now the market uh, need. And I went out and I talked to, again, dozens of Christian schools um, and, and really put fillers out there and understood, yeah, there's more of a need and a desire and a want for this, this, um, this type of product in a Christian school marketplace than there is in a church marketplace at this point. Mm. And, and the only way I determined that was from conversations and due diligence and research. And so I think there's that that would be the number one thing I would talk to somebody who's got an idea and, and wants to get going is 
make sure that idea has merit in the marketplace because you can have the best idea in the world. You can have something that brings you the most passion and energy and excitement. But at the end of the day, if there's nobody else that shares that vision for it and is, is wanting to use it, then, then it, it, it's not going to go uh, very far, right? It's going to be a hobby mm. for you that doesn't bring in any money. And yeah, maybe that's fine with you. Right. And, and for me, parent pulse, honestly, I'm, I'm excited about it, even if it doesn't bring in, it's not, I'm not building it for the money piece. Right. So, um, so there are situations where money doesn't have to be the, the predominant determining factor, but determine the marketplace need is, is there a viability for your, your product, your service, your idea in the market before you really start going? Wow. You just touched on something that I think is so important and it's this idea of you started down one avenue and then throughout the process of testing and working on it and marketing and different things through like in the midst of the process of building that thing, you actually discovered that there was another direction that you could go that was going to work better for the season that you were in currently. Right. And so that idea, I think that so often we're so afraid to move forward on something because of that that question in, in our mind of, well, what if this doesn't work or what if it's not the right thing or what if it's not received well or whatever? And we can be afraid to get started on something because we're not sure how it's going to turn out. But what's really cool to me is that you probably never would have ended up with the parent pulse if you hadn't first started with Measure.Church. Right. 100%. It was like going down that avenue that allowed you to see that opportunity that you might not have been able to see otherwise. And I just think that process of just kind of getting started and taking those first steps and being bold enough to, to step out in faith on the things that God has showed you and that he's spoken to you about. I think that it's so important to to start moving, to start putting your feet to it, even if it's like, you know, we talk about not despising small beginnings and stuff like that. And and sometimes we can be afraid to get started because it just seems like we don't have the resources to get us all the way to the end. But what you don't realize is that as you take those first steps, the picture begins to open up more and it becomes clearer and clearer. And sometimes, as you said, it pivots or it shifts or whatever the case may be. But, um, you know, I just think that that's so cool how that happens, that when you step out and you start taking those steps and just embark on the adventure of discovering new things that that's where you actually find out you know you discover so many of the missing pieces of the puzzle that you'll never get to if you just kind of stay still and wait for everything to materialize in front of you <laughs> you know yeah well said so um not sure if you're if you heard of the book canoeing the mountains um, Todd Bolsinger, a, uh, uh, he works at Fuller Seminary um, in Pasadena. It sounds I familiar, but I'm sure I have not read it. Okay. So he, he wrote this book called Canoeing the Mountains. And it's all about um, the idea of, of how specifically churches adapt, right? And so the concept uh, and reason it's called Canoeing the, Canoeing the Mountains is Lewis and Clark, right, started on this, this uh, uh, expedition to figure out where the uh, – Mississippi River ran into the ocean, right? And and all of a sudden mm. they hit this thing called the the Rocky Mountains. And <laughs> like, well, 
our our canoes aren't gonna gonna do much good right now, right? So they had to figure yeah. out how how do we now get across these these mountains, right? With with no no river, uh, you know. So they're they're literally just all of a sudden changing and having to adapt and 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 be flexible mm. on the fly in this in 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 the face of this new challenge. And what he makes a great point in this book to to your point, Duke about um, adapting and seeing where God leads and, and letting him connect the dots. And, and I'm going to paraphrase the story, but when he took this, he was a parish pastor, church pastor, and he took this job at Fuller to start uh, a new program there. And, and one of his mentors at Fuller came up, I think on, on his first or second day of the job and said, Hey, what I want you to do is focus on failing as fast as you can in this, because mm. then you can get to your plan B and then you can fail at that and you get to your plan C and eventually you're going to get to God's plan A, which is probably your plan L or your plan M. Right. So, <laughs> uh -huh. so in other words, you know, we, we've got to move, we've got to uh, not be afraid to pivot and, and to take that next step and to, to maybe change directions because yeah. God is using these experiences um, to lead us to, to ultimately his, his end, right. To his plan for us. And, and sometimes he, he has us take detours intentionally, uh, for whatever reasons that, that we know, or maybe won't know, right. We don't always understand, uh, his plans and his ways, but we've got to trust that he's using those to eventually get us to the spot he won't, where he wants us to be. It's really good. Um, all right, Ryan. So let's get into, um, I want to get a little bit more, just a little bit deeper on, uh, seven marches and some of the we've alluded a few different times to some of the things that are you know on the horizon for the the near future here and some things that you're working on now yeah. uh, how much how much can you can you talk about today well we can talk about whatever you'd like yeah i mean seven marches is <laughs> is uh is going strong i i'm having fun working with with uh, primarily churches at this point and and helping them cast um, vision. We go in there and we, we start with, uh, we, we've, it's called seven marches for a reason, right? It's, it's, we go through seven series and, and we call it the strategic march, which is what a lot of our churches do is really just the first three marches. Um, and that's where you, uh, we start by formulating your, your values, your, your mission, your vision narrative, uh, what makes you unique. Right. And then from there, we start to think, how is this all attached to where God's leading us, uh, in, in five or 10 years, in three years, in one year, 90 days, we get very granular. And then March three is all about now, how do we execute on this, right? Let's put a plan mm. together. So you start with stuff very fundamental to who you are, what your DNA is all about. You move into then casting a vision. And then you, from there, you go into the execution phase. So we're, we're doing that strategic march, march, those first three marches with a lot of our, our churches and having a lot of fun seeing them get momentum and traction. And, you know, but, uh, yeah, a lot of my attention lately has been on on Parent Pulse too, which is a little bit of a shift, right? It's it's still working with Christian organizations, but now it's schools, which is fine for me because I have a passion for Christian education. I, I preschool mm. through college in Christian schools. My wife is a Christian school teacher. Um, uh, I'm on the board of regents at my alma mater, Concordia University in, in Irvine, California. Um, so Christian education is is near and dear to my heart, and so this opportunity to create a product that brings this this business idea this concept of, of listening to your your customers i'll call them to christian schools and and helping empower them uh you know the ultimate goal is to help them to retain more students right if you're listening right. better to your people you're going to be more engaged you're going to understand maybe some concerns or, or or frustrations they have and and hopefully adapt 
uh, and, and make some changes or, or add some initiatives, they're going to keep more people at your school. And, uh, you know, I, I talk with schools about uh, KROI, Kingdom Return on Investment, right? And, you know, if, if you can implement a, a feedback program like this and hear from even one family that has concerns that you weren't aware of, now you can engage with that family in a conversation, ultimately keep that family in your school where you might not have been able to otherwise because you would have no idea they had concerns, right? They never come to you. They're, I call them silent parents, right? right? You don't hear about them, hear about these concerns unless they're in, you're intentionally asking for their feedback. Let's say that family's only connection to Jesus is through your school. They don't have a church home. They're, there's no faith background in their family, but their kids in your school, he's hearing about Jesus. He's going to chapel. He's you know, bringing stuff home that you're seeing, you know, and uh, learning about Jesus in the home. Now, if you're able to retain that family, think about the kingdom return on investment there, right? Mm. How, how is God going to work through that family? So it, it's, you know, again, this tool, I, I hope brings some great KROI to these schools. Uh, there, there's some other really tangible benefits too, in terms of saved retention revenue and, and intangible benefits in terms of, of having data to help, uh, inform your planning and your, your strategy. And so there's lots of benefits to it, but, um, you know, that's been a big focus of my time over the past six months or so is building out the software platform and, and starting to build the, uh, the marketing funnel content. And, and, you know, one thing that's interesting, um, is, uh, I'm a reader, so that's why I keep mentioning books, but there's, there's another great book called hooked and it's how you make a product habit forming. And, he talks in there about the idea that most products, especially in the software world, are either painkillers or vitamins, right? A painkiller is something that meets a very obvious need, want that you know, something that that's it's causing pain for your, your customer. A vitamin is going to make you stronger and healthier, but you don't always realize you need it. You don't necessarily pursue it. Parent pulse is probably more of a vitamin. And because of that, you have to work harder to educate and tell people and show people what the benefits are. Right. So that's one thing that I'm realizing, but, but enjoying and, and building out yeah. content that's going to help educate people to why this is so important. My hope Duke is that eventually we can take this and, and, and then add measure.church back into the mix, because I do think there's a need for this in churches as well. I, I think there's still, I think we're early and I think too many churches still, um, I'll, I'll say pastors instead of churches, too many pastors either don't want to embrace this idea that our worshipers are in some ways customers, they're consumers, or they're scared of what they're going to hear, <laughs> right? They're, they're fearful, which I get, right? I think and it's probably more the second one. <laughs> it, it very well could guess, be. And but... those are some of the things I heard, but that gets back to our earlier point, right? I, I had to have those conversations to learn that, right? If I had just launched this blindly, put it in the marketplace, I don't know that it would have had the the response that I would have liked, um, but because I had those conversations with people, I realized this is probably not quite ripe enough, yeah, um, to to move forward. So uh, the school side's been been fun to explore, though, and and uh, so still I'm still having fun going through these marches with with the organizations. But but uh, as a former you know stretch internet a tech guy and a software guy bringing that back into play now with parent pulse, um, has, it has scratched an itch for me too, because I, I forgot how much I enjoy building out software and going through that process of, of, of seeing, uh, how you can use that to meet a real, a real need. That's really cool. Are you actually building it yourself? 
So I'm not a, I'm not a, a software developer. Yeah. So we, we have a, uh, um, a, uh, firm that we work with in Salt Lake city, uh, that's doing it there. Uh, they offshore all of their work to Brazil. Uh, so we save money on the, on the code, but all the project managers, um, who are also, most of them are from Brazil too, are in Salt Lake city. And okay. so I have a local project managers, um, but, uh, we're able to save some money with the work by, by having them offshore it to, uh, to Brazil. So yeah, it's been fun working with them on the, on, and, and here's another interesting piece is they're almost all LDS, um, uh, almost all Mormon. And so it's fun to have conversations with them about why I'm doing this and the faith component of it and, and kind of get into a little bit of a evangelism, um, with them as well. Yeah. So it's been kind of a, a fun little side side uh, journey on this as well. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, how does the actual process work with, you know, so you're going to lead a, let's just say a church through the, the marches, right? Yeah. And so you're helping them implement a strategy to see greater growth and momentum developed and stuff like that. How does that actually happen as far as like, do, do you or somebody from your team, are you going to them? Like, are you meeting with their leadership team? Yeah. And uh, or is there an aspect where you have to see like boots on the ground and you have to kind of see their ministry in pro in happening or it, does it happen, you know, from a yeah. distance? How, how does the actual process of that work? I'm just yeah. curious. Yeah. Good question. Um, no, I, we, we have a two day kickoff that I I'm at and I, I insist that it's on, uh, on site at their campus. Um, cool. because I, I want to get, to your point, I want to get a feel for things. I want to talk to people um, that maybe aren't part of the leadership team we're working with. I want to get a sense for their physical space. Sometimes you can tell what's important to people and not or not important. Just just getting eyes in their physical space. Um, want to see how they operate. You know how they interact with each other. So uh, yes, we're in a world of Zoom and we do a lot of follow ups over over uh, that type of, of format. But we do an initial two day kickoff meeting. Um, where we, we walk through these and it's intense, um, but it's two days where we walk through these three marches and we have practical tools, uh, that, that we guide them through for each phase of each March. And, uh, we, we cap our, our, uh, team. We, we get, we allow them to choose up to seven people. Um, there's, there's a lot of research into what's called the rule of seven, which is the minute you have a group of more than seven people, the decision-making abilities of that group goes down dramatically. Um, and this is all, tested and research driven, right? So they've, they've done wow. a lot of studies uh, to show that. I made the mistake a couple years back of, of working with a church. And uh, this is before I kind of had researched and adopted this rule, but they had 22 people show up to our, our, our march. And it was, I mean, we still got to where we needed to be, but it was, it was pulling hair and it was, it was a, a, a painful process. Let's put it that way. So uh, so I, I've learned from that, right? And and now we we allow them to choose up to seven people, and we spend two days, and we we get after it. And so out of that two days, then they walk away with a game plan for the next ninety days, and and what what needs to happen over those ninety days. And and so then we coach them. I usually am on on a call every couple of weeks for an hour, see how how things are progressing, walk them through their meeting rhythms, make sure that they're they're effectively interacting with their team and, and chasing the right things and, and addressing obstacles or, you know, a lot of times shiny objects will come up, right? So they'll be halfway through our 90 days and they'll say, oh, we were thinking now maybe we should do this. And so sometimes it's just trying to 
to truly understand, well, why, why all of a sudden are you thinking this is more important, right? Because we, we generally do not try to, at least in a 90 day window change track. We want them to focus on what they said it was important because okay. there was a good reason that you said it was important at the beginning of this period, right? After 90 days, we do what's called a quarterly reset. So if indeed there's something new and, and has a higher priority as it relates to our mission, vision values that we talked about in our five year, um, uh, uh, goal that, that we talked about, then great, we can pivot after 90 days. Um, and, and so we'll talk about that, but it's really within those 90 days yeah. trying to stay, get them to stay focused um, on those two to three things that we said are going to be the most important things for us to gain that, that momentum toward that goal. Um, does that answer and, your question? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, what about, so what's just an example of something, whether it's a real life example or something you just, you know, um, something general, more general, but uh, what what's a what's an example of something that might be happening during the, that 90 day period of, of something that's changing as far as the focus or something that's being focused on during those 90 days that, that might cause them to want to change their their trajectory? No, I just mean like so you have the, the, the two day uh, where you're you know, you're going through this intense sort of um, not I don't process. know, training set. Yeah, pro, we'll just call it a process. Um, and then they're coming out of that with a strategic plan for the next 90 days. Mm -hmm. What's like something that they would actually be implementing in that 90 day period? Oh, I got it. So coming yeah, I'll give you an example there. from a yeah. church I, I worked at um, just recently in Southern California. And <clears throat> it's a, a church with a, honestly, the, there, there's more life in their preschool right now than the church. And um, you had some staff that didn't necessarily see eye to eye on, on which was driving the, the growth and, and the life. And um, so <clears throat> through that process, we had some great discussions and great talks. And uh, we came out of that with a 90 day plan. of It was really a people based plan and understanding that, that we needed to make sure that they had the right people in the right places to help their ministry move forward. They didn't have a, a really high level functioning board. Um, there was some some uh, uncertainty about whether the board oversaw the church or the school. So we needed to put definition around that. They didn't have enough volunteer leaders in place. Um, there were a couple of preschool uh, teachers that were leaving and they weren't sure how to replace them. So it became pretty clear that for this, this ministry to move forward, we got to fix the people issues. So that our 90 day priority became all about people, it became about developing a more uh, structured um, uh uh, board and under and, and also delegating the roles and helping the board understand what their role was, what they oversaw, how they were going to interact with the staff. It became mm -hmm. about um, uh, getting after these these couple of preschool teachers, hiring them, and and what that process would look like. It became about uh, researching better ways to recruit and identify and train volunteers. Um, and so that was really their ninety day uh, goal was all people based. How can we infuse and, and get more organized? Uh, uh, around the people that are working towards this, this ministry. So they, and they were just nearing that 90 days and they've made some great, great progress with that. They've hired both their teachers. Now um, they're just about to launch a, a new volunteer um, kickoff uh, program. Uh, they've got some, some better board documentation. So it, it just helped them feel more organized. And now they've got the people, you know, it's, it's hard, it's hard to do ministry without the right people in place. Right. So so For we sure. had to fundamentally identify that that has to happen before we can focus on what you actually want to do with your ministry. Let's start by getting the right people. And then maybe the next 90 days, uh, if you've been successful, then we can say, what are we going to do with these people? So, yeah, this whole ministry thing would be a whole lot easier without the people, huh? 
<laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, uh, complicates it's so funny. Things. I mean, it, the, the, I found that with my business too, as I grew, the, the biggest blessing was my people. The biggest pain was my people, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I love the chance to have these colleagues and go to, go to, you know, battle in the trenches with them. But then the biggest headaches were usually things going on with my people too. So it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a mixed bag. <laughs> Well, it's so funny because it really is. I mean, I think building the culture of an organization is always the 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 most. It, it it's so it's so foundational to your long term growth and success and everything. So whether you're talking about a business or a ministry or a family or whatever it is, like you know, we can really get so focused on the the products and the programs and the things like that, but building the people and like paying attention to the culture of the people and the relationships and like the inner workings and the communication and things like that are so key. We can, we can almost be oblivious to some of the internal problems that are happening on the interpersonal level. Yeah. Um, and just kind of being content with some mediocre results that we're getting because it's kind of working. I think things happen naturally over time, especially if you're seeing growth. So if you started yeah. with a hundred people and you had a few people in, you know, in leadership positions, and then, you know, a few years go by and now you've got 500 people and you've got different departments that are kind of forming, but you know what I mean? I think there's a way that we kind of like copy and paste things sometimes. And, uh, and we can end up with something that's kind of like a rat's nest as far as a, uh, uh, what do you call it? Like a, like a corporate structure or whatever. Yes. And there can be yeah. confusion. So anyway, yeah. uh, I don't well, know why and, I there, but no, that's a great point. One of my good friends and, and a former pastor of mine, you know, <clears throat> made a point that, that the church is, is the most complex organization in the world because what mm. think, think about some of these things, right? For instance, you'll have a lot of pastors that become a CEO overnight as their first job, right? They'll come out of the seminary, and they're maybe placed as a sole pastor to church. And as a 22, 24, 26 year old, they're basically a CEO, right? So you, you have that factor. Then you add the, the, the whole piece of volunteers. I mean, what, what other organization requires so much of their, their work, their, their uh, traction to be handled by volunteers, right? And, and how do you hold volunteers accountable? Uh, it, there's just so many yeah. complexities to, to how to, to the idea of, of people uh, at, in, a, in a church in a ministry and so so you're spot on I mean a, a lot of a lot of the work that we do and a lot of things we see are, are helping people kind of get their uh, you know their their shops in order so to speak uh, on, on the people front and uh, that's why one of our, our marches is actually we call it the missionary March and we don't mean missionary in terms of somebody serving overseas in Ghana Right. A missionary is somebody who uh, is actively uh, a proponent of and helping advance your mission. And that can be a volunteer. That can be a full time staff member. That certainly could be a, a traditional overseas missionary, as we think of that term in a church space. Right. But, mm, yeah. but one of our, our marches is all about how you organize those people, how you evaluate those people, how you hire. And even if you need to fire those people um, and, and really helps churches become better equipped to, to deal with the people part of their, their ministry. Yeah. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry. I was muted. Um, I, I, I got a comment here, um, as a pastor and one who works with coaching for pastors, I can tell you pastors are afraid of what they will hear and they never want to offend people. 
Um, and so he was saying we need programs like measure.church. Um, yeah. and I, yeah, and no, I think I, that, yeah, <laughs> that, that's a great comment. He, he's right. Right. And so it, it's, um, it's that vitamin that I talked about, right. It, it's, mm-hmm. you know, most pastors don't realize it's going to make them stronger and healthier. And, and so how do we educate them? Um, and, and in this case, I, I, like I said, I think measure.church hopefully still has some, some, a future there, but it, it's, it's going to take some time for, for us to, to educate and, mm. and to help pastors understand how important that is. Right. And, and you can't just do that overnight. So, um, so we'll see how that, that progresses, but that, that mindset is exactly right. So many pastors are, are just fearful and, and it's also the, the, the tyranny of the urgent too, right? There, there's so much going on in, in daily ministry that they think, you know, I don't have time to go out and, you know, look at surveys and data and feed, you know, it's, you know, God, God put me here for a reason and, and I know what's going on and, and I can lead this place. And, and so we, I developed something, we might've talked about this in our last podcast, but I call it the four feedback personas. Um, and, and these are yeah. the, the different personas people adopt. And, and one of those is um, what I call loner Lori and loner Lori is, is a person that says, God put me here. I know what needs to happen. You know, I, I, I have the vision I can implement and it's just, that's a, it's a shortcoming. It's a, it's an oversight because yes, God did put you there for a reason, but he also puts you in the midst of people you serve. Yes. And if you don't understand and can't connect well with the people you serve, you know, you're going to be, I don't want to say highly ineffective. You can probably still be effective, but you're, you're missing out probably on so much opportunity if, if you can't. Uh, if you don't work to proactively understand your people and where they're at. Wow. That's such a really uh, cool illustration that you use of the, you know, painkiller or like taking the pill to take your pain away as opposed to taking the vitamins ahead of time. And I Mm -hmm. think that that is really true. A, A lot of times with our approach to things is, you know, we'd rather just kind of run something into the ground. Not that we, not that that's our our goal or our mindset. We don't realize that we're doing it. You know, so we'd rather sort of run something. However, we want to talk about that in my own strength or without somebody's help because I want to be a loner, Lori, or because I want to, you know, feel like I can do things on my own or whatever. You know, whatever whatever the reason behind it is, or whatever the maybe it's an ego situation, or maybe it's just ignorance or whatever. But but we'll kind of we'll, we'll run something and rather than than engaging in a process throughout that's going to help us have long term success. You know, we'd rather get to that that point where things are so bad that, you know, now we need something that's going to be a quick fix. Yeah. Um, and I think that that what you're talking about there, like that mindset shifting, it's it's really needed. I mean, when you look at the highest level people in the world in anything in like the high level ceos of the world the high level athletes of the world what do they what do they have in common they all have coaches they all have Mm -hmm. people that you know they're not just out there doing it by themselves they have people that are able to speak into their lives and to tell them like this is not the best way to do this or this may be worked last season but it's not what's needed for the season that you're in now and so we've got to make some shifts and some adjustments and um yeah i think a lot of times we do get into fear and pride and stuff like that and it causes us to you know not see the levels of growth that you're talking about 
Yeah, it's human nature, right? And, and for sure. so, so I understand that, that, but that's part of my crusade is to, again, getting back to this idea that there's some, some business principles that, yeah, they might induce a little bit of fear, but if you can embrace them and understand how they can, they can positively impact your, your ministry and your organization, there's a world of opportunity out there. Mm. Uh, there really is. And there, there was a study done um, where they, they looked at about 2,000 different innovations that uh, across like six or seven different, six or seven different industries, I mean, completely different industries. And they just picked all these different innovations that, that had happened over the years. And then they sourced those innovations. Where did the ideas come from? And over 60% of them came from customers, right? And, and so you look at that, you, you think about that in the, in the church or the school, Christian school world, right? How many great ideas are sitting there in the minds of your people? Right? How many ideas for ministry? How many ideas for how you run your organization? How how you operate? How many great ideas are sitting in the members your, or in the minds of your people? But but you don't have a systematic way of asking and, and getting those ideas and fleshing those out, right? Wow. And so there's a real practical side to this too. It's not just understanding, hey, what are we not doing well? What it's you could legitimately become a healthier and more proactive and more vibrant organization just by having a systematic way of of better collecting mm. and, and and incorporating feedback from your people. That's really good. Um, let me ask you one metadata question sort of here. Like, how did you acquire with seven marches? Um, how did you find your first, you know, just say a couple of clients or, you know, whether they were churches yeah. or, or ministries that you were working with? How did you how did that work for you? Well, so I mentioned with Stretch, that was so important to me because I was already in the business, right? So I had these mm -hmm. contacts and your first customers become people that that you you knew, that you worked with, that, that were in your circle. Same thing with Seven Marches. Um, you know, my, my Lutheran roots run pretty deep. And and so having opportunities like serving on the Board of Regents at Concordia University in Irvine, um, having a, um, you know, wife who teaches in, in a Lutheran school, having a dad who's a former, uh, a retired Lutheran pastor, I've got a lot of roots specifically in, in the Pacific Southwest. And so tapping into those resources, reaching out to the, the president of our, we call it a district here. It's the Pacific Southwest district, which incorporates three to 400 congregations, churches in Southern Nevada, California, Arizona. Um, you know, just kind of beginning, you know, taking that relationship saying, here's what I'm working on. Do you know any people that are in need of this type of thing? Um, that that led to some immediate traction and opportunities, and and then from there it's word of mouth, right? It's it's like most most uh, healthy organizations and businesses. So much of it's word of mouth. You know, people talk, and so if, if you were able to help someone and 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 maybe uh, bring some some life to their ministry, they're usually not shy to share that, right, with their colleagues and the people that they run into in their in their inner circles. So, um, but really just tapping in initially to kind of my own my own network of people that, that yeah. know me and, and have an understanding of my history and what I can bring to the table and, and how I, how I think and how I work. Um, I think that's huge. Um, so I, I haven't done a lot of proactive marketing yet. It's been mostly just tapping into my, my own network and letting those people hopefully talk as, as they, they get to experience it. Yeah, that's really cool. So I imagine that you, you know, you probably acquire some, some clients and you start the process and then, then some of those clients can become sort of like a spokesperson, so to speak. Not that they're out there doing it constantly, but they can, um, what do they call those things? Not referrals, but um, 
testimonials the, testimonials thank you yeah. <laughs> you know things like that so has that been an important piece of the for sure growth for sure yeah. I, I and yeah customers speak so much louder than you ever can i remember mm -hmm. my days with stretch internet specifically there, there'd be times where i would go to present to uh, athletic conferences you know usually 8 10 12 schools and all their athletic directors would be in a room and i might come into that room and have out of those eight, 10 or 12 schools, maybe one or two were already working with stretch internet, right? And this was an opportunity to, to speak to, to more schools. And I could talk for 30, 45 minutes and show them all the bells and whistles and how this is going to benefit you and how it's going to help you. And, and that would be completely overshadowed by just one of our clients in a room at the end, taking 30 seconds to say, guys, hmm. I worked with them. I love them. You can't go wrong with them. I, I would, I didn't even have to go. Right. I mean, those 30 seconds from one of those clients who they know and trust and, and is a colleague of theirs far outweigh anything I could ever say. So, so, so to your point, I mean, getting some people that have experienced what you have to offer and then can, can share that word of mouth. So another great book, I'm sorry, man, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a reading list here, but no, keep them it's called, coming. It's called contagious. And uh, it's about the, the, the concept of how you, you get ideas to become viral. How do you get them to spread? And, uh, has some great information and research in there about the, the the concept of word of mouth and it's just so so vital for for any business but especially new businesses you know get those first couple people on your team find out who your your raving fans are you know and how you know once you've identified those people your promoters get them put them to work for you um, they usually don't even need any incentive you know they'll they'll do it if you've served them well and and help you know make their life better they're almost always more than happy just to go out without any incentive at all and just share the word. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what you just said right there, Ryan, is gold for anybody building something or trying to build something or wanting to build something. So I, I love that. I think that's great. Um, well, listen, why don't we point some people to some resources and to the website and to anywhere else that you would uh, direct people to find out more about some of these things. So whether we're, we can um, point people. So we've got the website sevenmarches.com. Yeah. Uh, but for, so on a, on a couple of levels, we, you know, one of the things that I really uh, think is awesome about your website is the blog. And I think that that is just um, an incredible resource for uh, people in ministry, people with, um, you know, organizations that they're wanting to grow and uh, I, I really think that that's an incredible resource that's just available to people for free. Um, but uh, then so, you know, we could talk about some of the stuff that's just available as far as resources go. Um, but then also uh, let us know it for maybe, you know, somebody who does is a leader of a church or an organization or something like that that might be interested in going a little bit further with um, what you guys have to offer. Yeah, I, sevenmarches.com is a place to go. Um, that that's a, a great point, a great starting point, just to learn more about uh, how we, you know, what makes us different, how we structure the um, uh, the process. Uh, gives you a breakdown of each of the marches and and specifically what tools we have and what we cover. And and uh, yeah, our blog is a great resource. I, I've been a little bit uh, hasn't been updated as frequently lately as, as I, I've been a little bit more focused on building out Parent Pulse. Um, but that's, um, there's, there's a lot of good stuff on there as well. Uh, and that will continue to be updated. And, uh, there's a, a link of course, to reach out to us and, and schedule a, a time to chat. If anyone wants to learn more, we're, we're always more than happy to do kind of a, um, I, I you know, like you, we, you know, I think 
part of your your ministry and your mission with this podcast is just to, to build relationships, just to get to know people and, and share stories and learn how God's moving. And and so I I always tell people, you know, it's not a sales call if you schedule a, a time with me on the website. It's not uh, sure I'll I'll tell you how we work at Seven Marches, but more than anything, I'd I'd love to hear your story, love to hear what you're working through, love to hear your challenges, and and if there's a connection and, and we can help, great. If not. You know, I've got one more person in, in, in my sphere that, uh, that that I know and that I can hopefully build a relationship with over time. So, um, so yeah, reach out if, if you want to chat and, and would love to, to get to know some, uh, some more people that, that might need some help. That's awesome. Yeah, well, that's kind of how we, we got connected, right? We, we started off, um, we were, it was in the, uh, I guess, somewhat earlier stages of the measure.church and yep. um you had reached out to me i think and then but but yeah it was just uh we were just talking it was just a conversation you weren't trying to like <laughs> push anything like it was a very comfortable uh interaction and um you know and then a friendship developed out of it and i think that that's super cool and you're my lutheran brother and i love it and it's awesome <laughs> and i really appreciate what you're doing <laughs> yeah <laughs> You didn't ask me yet about my the tonal. We're going to talk about the dude. Tonal. Let's talk about that tonal because I or am I pronounced? How, how did you pronounce it? Did I say it differently than you? Tonal. Okay, tonal. no, we said it. We said it. We said it the same way. I thought yeah, I yeah. for a second I thought I said it differently. Yeah, yeah. So I noticed your tonal on the wall back yeah. there, and I was yeah. asking you about it. Then I was like, no, let's wait because I I want I want everyone to hear about this. Yeah. So tell us about it. <laughs> it's it's uh, well. So we just talked about word of mouth, right? Yeah. I, I'm not I'm not a paid representative for Tonal, but I love their product so much that I've probably well, I know I have at least had two other people purchase their product just because of my 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 testimonial. Um the thing's awesome. So I, I think I was telling you before we went on, we uh we bought it two weeks before a week or two before COVID. And and thankfully we did because the minute COVID hit, everybody was trying to get their in-home gym equipment and there was like a six month back order on this thing. But uh I'm a tech guy, as we've talked about today. There's no cooler tech gadget that I've, I've ever owned or used. Um, it's, I'm not a gym rat, but this thing has made me want to work out every day. Um, the the awesome. way you can, uh, they've got constantly updated programs of trainers on there. Uh, the, uh, it has up to 200 pounds of resistance, so you can do just about anything you can in a weight room um, and all kinds of different moves. And it's got uh, built-in spotter technology. So if you're struggling, it'll automatically help you. It's got mirrors to tell you if your form is off. Um, it's really, really cool. And the, the neatest thing is we got this pretty early on, um, you know, before Tonal was as well known as it is now. Now they're putting a lot of money in that. I mean, I think they're valued at over a billion dollars now, but it is bug free. I mean, I've not had a single glitch in this thing. And awesome. so to use that type of technology uh, with, with that you know, those types, it's, it's fairly new technology, right? I mean, it's proprietary. And for them to be able to release something that that is that bug free is as somebody who's been in technology and, and, and built software platforms and knowing all the problems you can run into, I've just been really, really impressed with it. So it's not a cheap, I think it's 3,500 bucks to buy. So it's not cheap, but, um, over time it's, you know, it, it's eliminated our need for gym membership and, you know, I can, I can do it at any time right in my house and, get a, a great workout in. So there's my commercial for the tunnel. That's awesome, man. Yes. The first time I saw that thing, I was like, that is cool. That yeah. is, that is awesome. I got to get one of those. Um, how does it, 
how is the how does it feel as far as because it, it's it, it's a pretty amazing concept that the weight is electronic <laughs> like like so you're, yeah, you're adjusting it yeah yeah so it's it's a pretty amazing thing so when you're um so whether you're you know pulling pulling down or you know whatever it is that whatever kind of workout that you're doing uh-huh. is it how, how does it feel com- in comparison to using an actual machine in the gym yeah a pre- i mean i think it's pretty dang close i mean they've got eccentric mode on here too so it can it can add extra resistance uh you know as as you're you're bringing the weight back and it's so it's got some advanced modes on there too i think it's pretty dang pretty dang close to what you'd experience in the gym um i haven't noticed any overwhelming differences again i'm not a i'm not a gym rat i'm not you know somebody that that spends two hours a day some some of those folks maybe they have differing uh opinions on it but uh if, if you're just somebody that wants to get a good solid workout in um whether it's for you know toning strength yeah uh weight loss whatever uh you know it's it's gonna it's gonna blow you away i think it's a really neat system so dude, i dude yeah, i've seen it, some it videos feels- of tyson working out on the tonal oh really <laughs> yeah and like big you know big shots like that athletes and yeah oh yeah, yeah they've got a lot of a lot of prominent endorsers now too uh well-known athletes but yeah it's 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 cool um i like i said i can't recommend it enough um you know, and, and, and it's, it's cool too, because every family member can have their own profile on it and it tracks your, your, they call it your strength score. So based on how frequently you work out and it automatically adjusts, uh, the weights for you. So from one workout to a next, it might, it, it notices how, how you're doing with the workout. So if it says, oh, with that, with that, um, uh, bench press, we noticed you, you had no problem. So next time you get on there, you might notice it adjusted at five pounds up. Um, so mm. it, it it's it's got the artificial intelligence on on it is pretty neat. So um, really cool, really cool. That's tech. awesome. Yeah, very cool. Um, I know you're a, I know you're a big baseball fan. Um, what about football? Are you are you looking forward to uh, this Sunday at all? Are you into yeah, well, it? I'm, I'm I'm not a huge, believe it or not, NFL fan. I'm a, a passionate um, Major League Baseball fan, which I'm frustrated mm-hmm. about the lockout right now, but. Um, yeah. But I'll, I'll certainly watch the game. Uh, I'll probably be rooting for Cincy. Um, it'd be fun to see the the Bengals get one, I think. But uh, but I don't I don't have really a rooting interest um, in the game. But uh, it's always fun to watch. Yeah, I was wondering if you if you had any um, love for the Rams or not, just because of you know being living out there and no, the they well they weren't there. They, I think they were still in in uh, St. Louis. Yeah, when, uh, when we lived out there, so. No, I don't have any allegiances in the NFL. I mean, I'm, I live in Vegas now, but I hate the Raiders. Um, I, I mean, if I had to pick a team just from, you know, we lived 12 years in Arizona before this. So if I had to pick an NFL team, it'd probably be the Cardinals. Um, but uh, who, you know, they they had a great year, disappointing finish. But um, yeah, yeah, it'd probably be my pick. But uh, but I'm more of a baseball guy. I'm a, a New York Mets diehard, unfortunately. So um, I've had plenty unfortunately of, plenty of punishment over the years. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any uh, any hopes for this season? Well, uh, hopefully there is. My hope is there is. Hopefully a there's a season. Yeah, yeah that's um, a good hope. That's, that's a good place to but start. But I do. I mean, the, the, they've got the Mets have the the richest owner in baseball now, and they've been spending money left and right. And they got Max Scherzer now to team up with Jake Degrom. Mm-hmm. They've got this dynamic one-two huge punch at the top of the rotation. So I don't know. The Mets usually. Uh, uh, 
it's become a verb that people say they messed, right? And when you when you mets, that means you just tank unexplicably, right? Bad stuff mm -hmm. happens, and yeah. so it's probably just a matter until that or a matter of time until that happens this year. But that's a beautiful thing about baseball, right? Is every you know there's there's 30 teams going into spring training every year that feel like, hey, this could be our year. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll see. I I, uh, I am in a uh, you know fortunately here's a funny story, Duke is. You know, my I, I watch a lot of the Mets games. There's 162 regular season games. Yeah. And so sometimes my wife will say, "Really, you're going to watch another game?" I'll say, "Hey, but I'm not a big NFL fan. I don't watch NFL on Sundays." And she's like, "Oh yeah, you're right. She hasn't caught on yet that there's only what 17 is it 17 NFL games now a 17. year, and there's 162. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> the minute she realizes that, I'm in trouble. But uh, for the time being, I, I still go back to that that well. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I used to watch there. I, I used to watch every Yankee game. Um, oh wow! Every single day, I'd I'd watch it because back. So like, I don't I don't even have uh, cable right now. But when I used to live in New Jersey, we had the Yes Network, and they would always show the 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 replay later that night. So a lot of times, because I was like working in restaurants and stuff back then, and just different mm -hmm. things, and so I would uh, a lot of times I'd get home late. And I would uh, be, be able to catch the encore if I didn't get to see the regular game. But yeah, man, it was so like six days a week. Um, I, I used to watch every game. That's awesome. But yeah, but not anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, can't do I that mean, now. Life happens and kids and, and all that. And uh, but I'm, I'm with you, man. If, if I had the time, I could, you know, a lot of people think baseball's boring. I'm, I, I grew up loving it. So I'm fascinated by the strategy and the what happens between pitches and, and all that. I, I yeah. could watch, I could watch every inning of every Mets game and even watch other teams play. I just, I love the, uh, I love the sport. So it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. I, I think that was actually why I got so into base. I was really into baseball when I was a kid and then kind of lost interest. And then like, as I was uh, getting into my adult years, that was kind of the allure of it for me was um there's games all the time there's games every yeah. day like i don't have to wait till sunday to watch yes. a football game it, it it was just there's always something to go to you know that's so right I enjoy it's like that. comfort food right you can just have yeah. it on in the background <laughs> it's and always there bring this sense of peace you know so yeah uh all right ryan well i appreciate you man thanks again so much for your time and for coming back on the show and i do appreciate all the value that you're adding and um I yeah I I I've got I'm with you man I've got I've got hopes for uh measure.church to <laughs> to come back around and stuff like that but I love what you're doing now and I I really I I love your heart um toward wanting the the people of God and Christ-centered organizations to be at their best and reaching their potential and having just sort of the maximum momentum to really accomplish the goals that God has given them, the vision that God has given them and big picture to see the expansion of God's kingdom on earth and more people coming to know him and getting discipled and just, just all these different things that um, I, I think, you know, the approach that you take to it is, is awesome. And I say this every time, but I think it's so needed. And so again, I really appreciate you brother. Yeah, no, thanks Duke. And, uh, blessings on your uh your upcoming edition and excited for you to to grow your family so i'll be praying for you guys too but uh always always a pleasure to connect with you and uh enjoyed our conversation
Yeah. Thank you. Well, everybody, thank you for taking the time to check out this episode. I pray that it blessed you, challenged you, encouraged you. If it did, if you would consider uh, subscribing or leaving a review on one of the podcast platforms or sharing it out with someone that you think could benefit from listening to it as well, all of that would be really, really appreciated. Don't forget to check out sevenmarches.com and uh, some of those resources that are available uh, from Ryan and his team. And again, appreciate you all. Have an awesome day and uh, see you next time. All right, guys, episode's over. want to thank you again so much for taking the time to check out this conversation. I hope that it blessed you. If you're looking for a way that you can support this podcast, you can do that by sharing, subscribing, or leaving a review. Thank you so much in advance. If you happen to be looking for a way that you can monetarily support this podcast and just kind of help us keep the lights on, then you can do that by following the link that's in the show notes of this podcast episode. And for as little as $5 a month or even as a one-time donation, you can um, become a contributor to this podcast and that would just really mean the world to me. It will also open up for you some exclusive content that's only available for people that become contributors of the show. And also, if you happen to do that, if you become a contributor to this podcast, I'd also like to share some other free gifts with you. I'd like to uh, send you a digital copy of both of my books, my book, Simple Power, as well as What Is God Saying, which is a sort of a comprehensive guide to learning how to hear God's voice more clearly and more consistently in your daily life in practical ways. I'd like to send those to you. I can't do that through the website currently, so you'll just have to let me know. You can contact me through one of the social media platforms, just direct message me, or through my website. You can email me at duke at simplepowermedia.com. Just let me know that you became a contributor of the show. You don't have to tell me how much it was or anything like that. Anything gets you um, just kind of put into this group where I do just want to express my gratitude and I'd like to send you a free digital copy of both of those books. So again, thank you everybody in advance. Love you all. Thanks for being a part of this podcast in any way, shape or form. Hope you have an awesome rest of your week. I look forward to seeing you next time.